Welcome to Passports and Postcards, where we discuss everything travel. From cultural inspirations to exciting destinations and everything in between. With your host, Randall McKeown. Hello and welcome to Passports and Postcards. My name is Randall McEwen, and I am honoured to have on the show today Duncan Greenfield-Turk. He's a Managing Director of Luxury London Guy. He's originally from Cape Town, now living in London. Duncan's strong connection is with the travel industry comes from his background working with such hotelers as Corinthia Hotel London and St. Pancreas Renaissance. So welcome to the show, Duncan. Randall, thank you very much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. So can you tell us a little bit about why you moved from Cape Town to London. Uh, yeah, um, so my uh, father was born in the UK. My mother was born in Zambia. I was born in South Africa. Uh, and uh, travels always played a huge role in my life. Um, I uh, traveled a lot growing up um, as we moved quite a bit. Uh, and that kind of stuck with me um, so much so that uh, quite literally, I finished college and moved promptly uh, 500, 600 miles away from home uh, before uh, joining uh, the cruise ships to work at sea for uh, a little over a year um, and then eventually heading off to Ireland and on to uh, the UK and London. Um, work drew me there. Uh, I, I've been in hospitality and tourism uh, pretty much my entire my entire career from a young age, um, with my first role really starting uh, at the age of fifteen. That is young. That is young to start. And what was that first role when you were fifteen? I uh, flipped burgers for a fast food joint. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I've done that too. I did for uh, a big chain here. Well, it's a big chain everywhere. Um, that was probably my one of my first jobs. I think the first one was selling newspapers, but. Are you still connected with Pro Travel International? Yes. So, um, as an agency, Pro Travel is our host. Um, so, uh, Luxury London Guy, uh, we're an independent um, travel agency based out of the UK, operating worldwide uh, with an office in New York and LA. Um, and uh, our affiliation is through Pro Travel. Um, so, they provide uh, our uh, ongoing global support uh, and connections through systems and processes and GDS uh, and whatnot. Yeah, here in the province of Ontario, Canada, we have the same thing where to be independent travel advisor, you have to be linked to a uh, host agency. Yeah. I've spent uh, seven and a half years in the travel industry as a travel advisor. Uh, however, due to pandemic, um, people aren't traveling. So I sort of shut that down for now. I do plan on getting back into travel. But what I did was pivot it a little bit, keep the dream alive by creating this podcast and writing a book to share with people so they can dream about travel. Now, you, you provide um, tailored made travel for your clients. And you have a special connection to the LGBTQ plus community. Now, I know traveling in the world can, you have to be aware of where you're going and how you're going to be received. And with this um, specific type of travel, 
how do you offer the planned travel to your clients? You've been so, to so, destinations or you've done research studies? So, so it, it helps that uh, I'm a member of the community. Um, so I do have a, a closer um, connection to it and a, a closer understanding of it. Um, but um, you hit the nail on the head. There's a lot of research that goes into it. We stay abreast of um, travel guidelines uh, and travel guidance uh, specific to the community. Uh, and that can make all the difference from knowing that uh, places like um, Copenhagen, uh, Scandinavia and uh, um you know, uh, Amsterdam, for example, are very popular with the lesbian community, yeah. uh, incredibly welcoming. Uh, whereas somewhere like Thailand, uh, Bangkok and uh, the other regions mm-hmm. are very popular with the trans community, yeah. um, you know, because of that feeling of uh, safety and security and welcomeness. Um, these are very important aspects. And, um, you know, it's it's not just enough to get to know what's going on worldwide. It's getting to understand your client and their um, aversion to risk. Um, because, uh, for example, uh, while the Maldives may not have the best um, outward rights for LGBT um, plus travelers, they're actually incredibly welcoming of them. Uh, and so the resorts themselves will bend over backwards to support uh, and make them feel at ease. And so it's knowing and understanding what a client really, really wants. And that's the key to any successful uh, trip. Yeah, I would say we have a strong community here in Toronto, uh, very famous for our Pride event. And the welcoming and understanding, I would say most of us have within the community, so again, like you said, you got to do your research and make sure that uh, you're finding the right place for it. It goes for any traveler. Like if it's families, if it's singles, if it's uh, generational, you've got to make sure that you do the research and make sure you find the right place. As a traveler, you said you've traveled a bit. Now, is there any favorite place that you've been to that you would like to highlight in this interview? Oh, um it's a question I get asked a lot. Um, is there one single destination that stands out above all? Um, and that's a really difficult one to answer. Um, and the reason is, is that each destination has a very different appeal. I, I, I'm absolutely in love with Africa uh, and all things, um, you know, in the bush, um, the caliber of the cuisine, the food, the experience, the weather, um, the opportunity. Um, you, you know, you can um, surf along the coasts, you can uh, sail, you can um, move inland and camp in the wild, you can do the desert experience. Um, when it comes to cities, uh, the, the bigger the better, uh, the more insane the, uh, and crazy, the more I enjoy them. Uh, I absolutely adored Taiwan, for example, uh, and specifically Taipei. Um, you know, walking into the underground food markets for the very first time and uh, being assailed uh, by the smells and sights and sounds was uh, out of this world. Um, but then, you know, New York um, has its own uh, appeal. It's uh, one of my favorite cities. Um, but if you want a New York experience with a different twist, I'd recommend Chicago. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, I really think you need to know what you want when you're traveling and that can change from trip to trip. Um, you, you know, if you take Canada, uh, Vancouver has got the most uh, appropriate or similar lifestyle to what I grew up with in Cape Town. Um, you know, it's got that same vibe, 
same energy, same outdoor attitude. Uh, the big difference being you can ski in the morning and surf in the evening. Yeah, I hear you there. I have a nephew who lives in, in the Vancouver area. And during the daytime, he works hard. And then he heads off to Whistler to do a skiing, can return yeah. down to the beach and have beach volleyball before the sun sets. So it is a very unique destination. Chicago has its own vibe. I've been there and, uh, yeah, I've been to both New York and Chicago. They are similar, but they're different. And they have their own unique uh, energy. Is the word energy. Like. That's, that's yeah. a good word for it. And I love the city of London. Been there many times. I have family that just live outside of London, so it's nice to visit when we can. Now, how do you find the current situation in England right now? Are you guys in like a complete lockdown or are you free to move or free to travel? How is it there right now? So currently, um, England itself, so the, you, you, you have uh, the UK, so uh, United Kingdoms, which is Northern Ireland, um, Scotland, Wales, uh, and England. Um, they're all under their own um, guidance. Um, so England itself, where London, of course, sits, is currently still in lockdown up until the 12th of April, at which point we start to ease the restrictions. Um, that'll be on the domestic front rather than the international front. 17th of May, we'll see the first review of what the international front could look like by the 21st of June. Um, so we're, we're still in lockdown for a, a little while longer. Um, internationally, um, arriving here, you have to quarantine in a hotel. Um, so there are some severe restrictions for uh, visitors. Of course, um, if you are arriving from a non-red list country, you can quarantine at home, uh, but all arrivals currently need to take two coronavirus tests when they arrive in the country, one on day two, one on day uh, eight. Um, so there's a lot of restrictions around it. Um, we'll, we'll see how that looks in the next couple of months. Um, they're hoping by late summer that we're pretty much back to normal. And the main reason for that is that our vaccine rollout has been uh, extraordinary. Yeah, that's one thing I've heard on the news is that uh, UK is very ahead of the game when it comes to rolling out the vaccine, some other countries, even our own country here in Canada, a little bit way behind. And currently in the Toronto or Peel, region of Peel, I, I mean, Mississauga, but region of Peel is the area to the west of Toronto. We have a high population here. So we are in what we call a gray zone, which is top. It's almost like a high alert. Um, a lot of the, Restaurants and you can't dine in, you're going to get delivery. Um, stores are what we call curbside pickup. You can order ahead and pick it up at the curb. But I think moving forward, uh, we're going to have to rebuild domestic travel. Restaurants here, have, some of them are opening, closing, opening, closing. They change the rules every minute. There are a lot of businesses that have closed. So in order for us to build travel again, we're going to have to start with domestic. Now, do you agree with that point of view? Yeah, absolutely. I think domestic is uh, crucial um, for the UK to rebuild its own market uh, and get confidence back in consumers. 
um, we see, uh, especially um, from the 12th and the 17th, so the 12th of April is when uh, they anticipate uh, holiday lets, anything that's self-contained being available. Uh, and then the 17th, they're anticipating hotels to re and bed and breakfasts to reopen. Um, so uh, it's a crucial thing for any government's uh, tourism uh, standpoint to really look at the domestic market before they start to think about the international. Uh, thank you for that. Now, do you have a bucket list? And is there any places that are on that bucket list? Uh, so my bucket list is uh, Botswana, uh, you know, Kenya, uh, Australia. I was meant to do Australia two years ago, just never made it. Um, New Zealand, uh, I would love to do um, South America, um, specifically Ecuador, uh, and going further down. Um, I think it would be an incredible, incredible experience. If you had a choice between land or sea vacation, what would you choose and why? Uh, I've done both, uh, and I think they really it really depends um, on uh, what you um, – how do I put it? Um, what you're expecting. Um, you can combine them. Um, I, I think if you want a longer holiday uh, and you only really want to unpack once, go for a, a, a cruise uh, that takes in many destinations because you can literally go to bed and wake up in a different port, different uh, place every single um, day. Um, whereas if you are the kind of person that wants to explore and enjoy, um, you, you know, that energy of a city uh, and get out and and do loads of different things then you, you know go for go for cities uh, go for uh, out of town spots go for road trips and I, I know with myself when i was in the travel industry i was trying to really heavily promote river cruising because of the fact you get both the water and the land and the fact that uh River cruising can get you places where big cruise ships can't. However, again, with this pandemic, uh, it sort of changed people's minds and they're a little bit leery of not taking river cruises. I would say that once we're confident in the fact that a vaccine has been rolled out, that river cruising would be an ideal way to see, especially European countries. Do you agree with that? I completely agree. I mean, what's very interesting is if you look at the product that's become available on river cruising, it used to be quite a rundown um, type of um, cruise ship or uh, yacht or boat, whereas now you're seeing product introduced onto uh, rivers that is equivalent to some of the, the finest five-star luxury hotels on the market. Um, so it really does provide this exceptional opportunity um, to explore not just um, one city or two cities, but it, potentially an entire country or even two or three countries that are connected by river. Now, you've been involved in the hotel industry. Uh, I've been to London. Can you sort of highlight maybe a couple of your favorite hotels in the London area? Uh, so in the London market, um, Corinthia London, um, two reasons. Uh, I had the pleasure of uh, helping launch and open the hotel uh, back in 2011 uh, before I moved on and eventually opened my own travel agency. Um, it, it's an exceptional product, but uh, why it stands out is it has possibly the largest urban spa uh, in a city centre, four floors of spa. 
Um, it's well located for walking the city. Um, another favourite of mine for uh, old world charm would be the Stafford, uh, which is Mayfair Way. Um, it's got the, uh, it, it's got this uh, quintessentially English uh, energy to it. Uh, and it's right near the park, a uh, short walk to um, Buckingham Palace, and, and again, short walk into parts of Mayfair um, and uh, St. James's. Um, and another, um, I, I suppose, uh, more new, um, I say new, uh, I mean, it, it renovated, reopened just before uh, COVID, uh, would be the Belmond Cadogan. Uh, uh, and that's Knightsbridge, uh, just down from uh, Sloane, just down Sloane Street, uh, and again, perfect for the Chelsea Knightsbridge area. Um, so those are three hotels that I'd probably um, suggest: one larger, one medium, one boutique. I've had the pleasure to visit your lovely city in London, although I stayed by the dockyards uh, over uh, Excel Centre. Been there for World Travel Market. Uh, back in 2016 and 2017. But again, having family in England, it's a good place to visit. I've We have the CN Tower here in Toronto. Yeah. But the Shard is a shining example of architecture. It, it just, if anybody gets a chance to get to London, that would be one place that I would recommend people to go with at least. So, so I, I would uh, interject there and just make one suggestion. Um, like New York City, where you have um, the Empire State and Rockefeller, um, and people go people go up the Empire State to see the whole of New York, but they go up the Rockefeller to take the picture of New York with the Empire State. And um, we have um, Sky Gardens, um, which is what you go up to take the photo of the city with the shard in it. Uh, big difference there is that the shard, uh, there's a charge to go up, and Sky Gardens, you've just got to pre-book, and it's complimentary. Excellent. Good advice. Thank you for that. Before we go, is there, as a traveler, is there one piece of advice that you could leave our listeners with when it comes to pre-travel? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, my advice for any client pre-travel, check your passport. <laughs> it's probably the most important uh, yeah. thing ever. Uh, and surprisingly, it's the one thing so many travelers um, clean forget to do uh, before they actually travel. Um, depending on which country you go to, um, returning uh, and depending where you are in the world, you either need between three to six months uh, validity of your passport to return. Um, so it's, a, it's an absolutely vital thing for you to check. I agree with you there. I'm just going to give you a little story there. Back in 2001, uh, we were over in England, Ireland, and France. We happened to be finishing our trip in France, and we were heading back to the Eurorail to get back to London when, of course, someone in the subway stole my fanny pack, and I swear to God, I'll never, ever have a fanny pack again, but stole that, and in it was my passport. So you can imagine uh, having to deal with the French police to try to get a report so I can get through French security to the British security to get on the Eurorail to head back to London. And that was a day before 9-11. So on the Monday, I was running around London trying to get a new passport. And, of course, we flew from London to Dublin on that Monday. 
on the Tuesday, well, our luggage did not arrive in, in, in Dublin from England. So on that Tuesday, we're in the heart of Dublin trying to find some place to get some clothes for myself when we heard about the events back in New York. So passports are an important thing. And one thing you have to do when I'm going to advise the listeners, when you're looking at your passport, make sure that it's not ripped, damped. There's no pages that are missing or anything like that, because you may be able to get through customs in your country. However, when you're trying to leave the destination you arrived in, there may be issues of getting back in. Now that uh, we're done our our show for today, I want to thank Duncan for coming on. Thank you, Duncan. And it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Do you have Thanks any final thoughts before we wrap up? Um, well, thank you again for having me. Uh, an absolute pleasure um, to join you. And um, uh, One thing I always say is uh, never forget that travel is the only thing you buy that does truly leave you richer every single time. Hi, this is Randall McEwen. You've been listening to Passports and Postcards. I'd like to let you know that my book, Gonzalo Guerrero, Travel Insight with Randall McEwen, is now available on Amazon.